by pulling together, they have more diplomatic clout and capability to negotiate with China together. The U.S. and China discuss thorny issues. It's Tuesday, November 16th. This is VOA Asia. I'm Jim Stevenson in Washington. We're online. You can find us at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, China coal use heats up. ICE tells about global warming. U.S. economic uncertainties. COVID kills some careers. A virtual literary festival. It's all on today's VOA Asia. Taiwan is expected to top the agenda when U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping meet virtually shortly after the time of our broadcast in Washington to discuss how both countries can responsibly manage their ongoing competition. White House officials announced the meeting Friday following a surprise agreement on climate change made between China and the United States on the sidelines of the U.N. summit on climate change, known as COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland. After finding common ground at COP26, the president's call is expected to touch on some sensitive topics, such as China's nuclear buildup and a potential trade agreement that could end a long-standing dispute that began under former U.S. President Donald Trump. It could also touch on Taiwan. VOA Asia takes a look at why Western countries back Taiwan, despite their pro-China policies, in the following analysis written by Ralph Jennings and narrated by VOA's Amy Hybels. Over the past four months, officials from two European countries, the European Parliament and the United States, have made overtures to Taiwan. Freddie Lim, a member of the Taiwan Parliament's Foreign Relations Committee, has taken notice. The real meaning, the reason is that international communication with Taiwan can start being put on the table now. Before, of course, all countries were having communication with Taiwan, but in the past, it was all under the table. China sees self-ruled democratic Taiwan as part of its territory and has threatened force, if necessary, to bring the island under its flag, a leftover from the Chinese Civil War of the 1940s when the nationalists rebased in Taiwan after losing to the communists on the mainland. Taiwan has formal diplomatic recognition from just 15 small countries worldwide, although informal relations with other countries do continue. Analysts say Western countries' recent dealings with Taiwan serve as a warning to China, Taiwan's longtime political rival. Sean Su is an independent political analyst in Taiwan. By pulling together, they have more diplomatic clout and capability to negotiate with China together, as opposed on a one-to-one basis. And it's a tactic that's been used throughout history. Other countries are teaming up in case China pushes too hard against Taiwan, dissenters in Hong Kong, or its own Muslim minority in the Xinjiang region, causes where democratic Western leaders often favor the pushed over the pusher, analysts say. In July, Lithuania agreed to allow Taiwan to set up a representative office, leading China to recall its ambassador. The Czech Republic's Senate president took a delegation of 89 leaders to Taiwan in August. Last month, the European Parliament decided to deepen economic and diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Taiwan's foreign minister visited Brussels at the end of October, and four U.S. senators recently traveled to Taiwan. 
Derek Grossman, a senior defense analyst with the U.S.-based Rand Corporation, says Western leaders have tired of China's authoritarian tendencies. I think what we're seeing with the Lithuanians of the world is sort of a banding together for a common cause, which is we need to reject the authoritarian model in international affairs. It comes to our shores and it impacts us or has the potential to impact us. And that is manifested, of course, in support to Taiwan. Stephen Nagy, a senior associate professor of politics and international studies at International Christian University in Tokyo, says a critical mass of countries acting in Taiwan's favor could help head off any conflict. China's almost daily dispatch of military planes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone since mid-2020 has raised fears offshore of a pending firefight. On the peacemaking side, countries voicing support for Taiwan have said they plan to uphold their own one-China policies, which means recognizing Beijing diplomatically over Taipei. Here's Stephen Nagy. I think already we're seeing the movements towards trying to prevent a conflict between Taiwan and China, and that's setting the strong signals through backdoor diplomacy that the one-China policy hasn't shifted and that they support peace and stability across the Taiwan Straits and that they don't support either Taiwanese independence or a forced reunification. A spokesperson for Beijing's Taiwan Affairs Office recently said the Taipei government's cooperation with external forces and continued independence provocations were the root cause for tension between the two sides, including the sending of a combined 700 Chinese aircraft into the Taiwanese air defense identification zone. Grossman says countries like India and Vietnam are eager to back one another economically to make up the difference in case of economic reprisals from China. Vietnam and India have spoken out against China over Asian sovereignty disputes. Our thanks to Ralph Jennings in San Francisco for contributing this story. I'm Amy Hybels in Washington. We invite you to read more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. Check us out on Facebook and, of course, our website, voanews.com. Stay with VOA Asia, as in a moment, we look at a surge in coal use by China. These are among some of the top Asia headlines you'll find right now when you visit voanews.com. Taiwan may top Biden's sea call, but experts say not to expect much. Myanmar frees U.S. journalists detained since May. Philippine President Duterte to seek Senate seat in 2022 elections. Pakistan begins immunizing millions against measles and rubella. Thai protesters rally for reforms of monarchy after court rules against activists. You'll find expanded coverage of each of these stories and more at Facebook at VOA Asia. Stop by our Instagram page, see us on Twitter, and at the voanews.com website. We have more VOA Asia for you right now. China's output of coal increased to its highest level since at least March 2015, after authorities gave permission for mine expansions to boost supply and ease record prices. Chinese coal imports from Russia surged in September, but one of its traditional suppliers, Australia, remains frozen out of the lucrative trade because of diplomatic tensions. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. 
China, the world's leading consumer of coal, has an energy shortage, triggered by strong demand from its manufacturers, industry and households. The government in Beijing is determined to avoid more power cuts. Since July, China has approved expansions at more than 150 coal mines, according to the National Development and Reform Commission. Figures from China's National Bureau of Statistics showed domestic coal production exceeded 357 million tonnes in October, up from 334 million tonnes the previous month. Official customs data has also shown that China imported about 3.7 million tonnes of thermal coal from Russia, the main fuel for electricity generation in September, up more than a quarter from August. However, one of the world's main coal producers, Australia, is noticeably absent from the list of nations shipping coal to China. It was a prolific exporter of coal to China before an unofficial ban was imposed in late 2020, after Canberra supported calls for an international inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, the disease first detected in China. Beijing interpreted the move as criticism of its handling of the virus, and a range of trade restrictions were brought in. China does have long-term plans to slash the use of coal and fossil fuels. Sam Jewell from China Dialogue and Environmental Policy Group told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that China's consumption of coal will oscillate to reflect domestic political necessities. There's room for hedging over the next five years that can allow kind of increased coal build-out that would then need to be kind of ramped down again after 2025. And that speaks to this issue of the kind of push and pull that we see in the Chinese sort of power sector with the recent blackouts and so on. It is difficult to just immediately you know, turn the juggernaut around. And there's a push and pull between different forces and different imperatives, including you know, social stability, employment, keeping the lights on. The increase in China's coal production comes as India, supported by Beijing and other coal-dependent developing nations, brokered a last-minute amendment at the COP26 climate talks in Glasgow, Scotland. They managed to alter the final wording of the accord to phase down rather than phase out the use of coal. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. Still ahead on VOA Asia, the first climate actions being taken following the COP26 summit. Happening now in Asia, after 176 days in a Myanmar prison, American journalist Danny Fenster is finally on his way home. Fenster was freed Monday, days after a Yangon court sentenced him to 11 years in prison on charges filed by the junta. Release comes after negotiations between the Myanmar military government and top U.S. officials. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. It's nice to have you with us on this Tuesday for VOA Asia. Thanks for joining us. With the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26, now over, countries are looking to begin funding a global counterattack on rising temperatures on Earth. Meanwhile, scientists in Denmark are searching for clues to our warming planet's future by studying ice from the past. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has more. 
Under dim light, so as not to contaminate the sample, researchers cut frozen sediment in a journey through time to an ecosystem of the past. We're trying to learn more about what that environment was like, what the climate conditions were like at that time, and use that information to understand how sensitive the Greenland ice sheet may be to melting under human-caused climate change in the future. Andrew Christ is one of the researchers at the Ice Core Archive in the University of Copenhagen's Niels Bohr Institute. At this library, samples like the one he cut through earlier sit on shelves awaiting study. The frozen, muddy sediments once lay nearly one and a half kilometers beneath the Greenland ice sheet. U.S. scientists drilled them out in the 1960s as part of an effort to establish a military base there. Experts say those deep samples are the only ones worth studying. All the meteorological measurements and atmospheric measurements humans have done in the last hundred years or so are already influenced by climate change that is human caused. So if we want to see the natural state of climate and natural viability, then we need to go way, way further back in time. The Niels Bohr Institute's Bo Wittner is part of the international team of scientists using a technique called luminescence dating that reveals when minerals last had direct sunlight. Along with other readings, it could show previous temperatures when the Greenland ice sheet previously melted away. Initial results from 2020 suggest that happened in the past million years. Christ says as scientists, it's their job to give the world a guiding playbook. This is how the Earth works. If you add too much carbon to the atmosphere, it's going to get too warm. You're going to melt the ice sheets. You're going to change weather patterns, and it's going to make life very difficult for us as humans. Or we can look towards a different path with less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and a future that is not as uh, uncertain and difficult for us. Late end to end, the frozen samples here would stretch more than 20 kilometers. Researchers keep them constantly chilled in freezers at negative 30 degrees Celsius. According to a study published in 2020, Greenland lost a record amount of ice in 2019, yielding enough water to cover California under one and a quarter meters of water. It is estimated that if all of that ice were to melt, sea levels would rise by more than six meters. Arash Arbasadi, VOA News. Be sure to read and see more on this story by visiting us at VOA Asia Facebook. After you listen to VOA Asia, you can see VOA Asia. VOA Asia is on YouTube. See and share the fun with Food Bites, our weekly culinary dive into foods from the homeland. Recipes that came with chefs who immigrated to the United States. Students enrolling in U.S. schools can get their first lessons about life on campus. Subscribe for free. See us often at VOA Asia YouTube. This news from VOA Asia. A roadside bomb blew up on a busy avenue in the Afghan capital, Kabul, Monday, wounding two people, according to police. The blast came two days after a bomb exploded in a minibus in another part of western Kabul, killing at least one person and wounding five others. You'll find this in all the big stories through the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. I'm Jim Stevenson in Washington. Let's continue with VOA Asia. Prices have gone up for a number of consumer products in the United States. President Joe Biden, whose poll numbers are slipping over concerns about how he is handling the economy, is pushing for the passage of his large social spending plan. Michelle Quinn tells us more. 
groceries, gas, cars, even houses. Consumers are paying more as the U.S. economy tries to emerge from the coronavirus pandemic. While inflation is high and it's affecting Americans in their pocketbook and their outlook. The Biden administration says higher costs are due to struggles to get people back to work amid the pandemic. The situation, the White House says, underscores the need for passage of the Democrats' nearly $2 trillion social spending package that includes climate initiatives. The House of Representatives may vote on the legislation this week. We want to improve the productive capacity of our economy, which will actually reduce price pressures. We want to get more people to work, which will actually reduce price pressures. Republican leaders who oppose the spending package say it is too costly and will only fuel inflation. The reason I think prices are going to go way up is because of some of the things that they have put into the bill on energy and on climate, which are going to raise energy costs considerably in the year ahead at a time when the American people are already paying sky high prices to heat their homes, to drive their cars, to buy groceries. Economic discontent is fueling some people's frustrations with Biden. Only 39 percent of Americans approve of how the president is handling the economy, according to a recent Washington Post ABC News poll. Michelle Quinn, VOA News. Making headlines in Asia, Taiwan is expected to top the agenda as U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping meet virtually to discuss how both countries can responsibly manage their ongoing competition. VOA Asia will have a full breakdown of the conversation on our next program. You're listening to VOA Asia. Now on VOA Asia, the COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected mid-career and older working women in the United States. About 40% have experienced at least one job interruption, and of those who remain unemployed, 70% were out of work for six months or more. Lesia Bakalitz has more about the unemployment rate for American women over 40 in this report narrated by Anna Rice. Natalia Thomas lives in Arlington, Virginia. For 14 years, she has worked as a court clerk. But when the pandemic hit the U.S. in the spring of 2020, she got fired unexpectedly. Of course, I was shocked. Anyone would be shocked. I've been going to work every day for so long. You know everything. Everyone knows you. You love your job. And then, poof, there is nothing. Thomas was told that because of the quarantine lockdowns, the courts were open for only limited hours and her services were no longer needed. I looked at my CV and thought, what else can I do? What can I do during a pandemic, during lockdowns, while everyone is at home? And I realized the list of my skills was not too long. Many women over 40 found themselves in the same position as Natalia Thomas, says the National Retirement Association, AARP. So 41% of women workers have experienced some type of job interruption since the beginning of 2020. And 14% of what we're calling uh, of these women have uh, these, we we call them mid-career and older women, have actually um, lost a job. Nearly 70%, this is a really scary finding, of women who were still unemployed at the time that we did the survey were out of work for six months or more. 
Unemployment during the pandemic has increased among all workers, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. But it seems to have had a more negative impact on women, says Patrick Button of Tulane University. I've documented in my research looking at uh, matched resumes and doing experiments. Uh, employers are less likely to hire older women compared to younger women. On top of that, a lot of employers are afraid more experienced workers will cost them more. We've heard experts say maybe it's not ageism, but maybe it's wageism, that employers are concerned that older workers are going to be too expensive. Another reason is imperfect legislation. The U.S. has separate laws on gender and age discrimination, yet it is not possible to combine these two in court. Let's suppose that the firm just discriminated against older women, right? So we show evidence and we show evidence. In in that case, we should be able to compare um, older women's um, statistic or older women's um, case with young women, young men or older men. But intersectional discrimination is not recognized. Older women cannot do that. They could only compare themselves to men or younger workers. Experts say there are some ways workers can try and outwit potential discrimination. But sometimes you don't have to fill out a form where you disclose your your graduation and maybe you're just submitting a resume. You don't necessarily need to put your high school graduation year on there. So that might be a way where people won't know your age until they actually interview you. Another thing that might help find a new job is readiness to learn new skills. Natalia Thomas managed to find a job a year after she was fired. And today, she works as a clerk for a technical support desk in the Arlington school system. The career change was a shock for her, but also an opportunity to learn and start something new. For Lisa Bakalets in Washington, NRI's VOA News. This year's recent 1455 Summer Literacy Festival, an annual free three-day virtual program sponsored by a group of universities in Virginia, featured over 200 authors, poets, and creative artists sharing their insights into the art of storytelling. For details of the festival, Maxim Muskalkov is our storyteller. The annual three-day-long 1455 Summer Literary Festival was held virtually because of the lingering effects of COVID. Still, the festival hosted over 70 talks between authors and readers. The virtual format helped attract a more international crowd to the sessions on storytelling, says festival director Sean Murphy. We want to interrogate and look at storytelling as an art form across virtually any platform. So... Of course, that will include literary fiction and poetry and writing and journalism. But we're also looking at sports reporting. We're looking at political reporting. We're looking at dance and we're looking at performing arts. Really, we're trying to take a look at what does storytelling mean? The festival's headliner this year was Douglas Stewart, a Scottish-American writer and fashion designer. His debut novel, Shaggy Bane, was awarded the 2020 Booker Prize. Stewart wrote his coming-of-age story set in 1980s Scotland while living in New York and working in the fashion industry. He says his manuscript was rejected by publishers over 40 times. But I was so excited when Shuggy was going to join the world in uh, February 2020. I'd been waiting for that moment for so long. And so you can probably imagine my disappointment when my book arrives in a bookstore at the end of February and then the week later the world closes down because of the pandemic. 
Philippe Cousteau, American oceanographer and environmental activist, presented his series of children's books about endangered animal species. My grandfather, Jacques Cousteau, was a world-renowned environmental advocate and ocean explorer and storyteller, my father, Philippe Sr. as well. And so I come from a generations-long legacy of, of storytellers, recognizing that story is essentially the language of learning. The festival concluded with a number of awards. Award-winning author, journalist and CNN TV host Lisa Lin received the Storyteller of the Year award. All you have to do is leave your little bubble. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, you don't, you don't even have to leave your bubble very often if, if you just engage with the people who are around you. Jan Poets also received well-deserved awards. From the 160 applications, 10 were selected as winners. Maxim Moskalkov for VOA News, Washington. You've been listening to VOA Asia. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and find us on Instagram and YouTube. Of course, at our website as well, voanews.com. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our team. Service Chief Diane Gao, Keith Lane, Amy Hybels, Chris Cascao, and Jessica Stone. I'm Jim Stevenson. We're in Washington. We hope you have a terrific day ahead. Be safe. Be well.